The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. And the views of their employers do not necessarily reflect the views of the participants. It's time for another Geeks and Beats live on location show. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. We are live on location at the Toronto Downtown Record Show. We'll tell you how to search for vintage vinyl and see if we can dig up some platters that matter. The breakthrough in battery technology we've been waiting for. Forget lithium-ion, lithium-air batteries will take you 20 times further in your next set of wheels. A sad day at Big Al's malt shop. You knew the Happy Days, you knew the Happy Days greasy spoon owner died, but did you know that there was a Happy Days musical? Plus, we're giving away the Zik 2.0 headphones from Parrot, and we'll tell you why the music you're listening to may be making you fat. And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. We are live on location at the Downtown Record Show here in Toronto on Broadview Avenue, just south of the Dairy Queen. And uh, Alan, we're here, what, every year? Well, yeah, this is the second year in a row, so I guess that counts, doesn't it? Uh, the thing is, is that with the spring one, there doesn't seem to be as big a crowd as there is at the fall. Um... Yeah, I think we're in the cocooning stage where people are looking to... Um, Basically, sit there with the vinyl, where it's the nice warm sound. Is the way I, th- it's I think. I think you have it absolutely right. I think it's 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 a matter of of let's get ready for winter. We're going to be inside, so let's hoard a whole bunch of new vinyl and CDs and just <laughs> stay that way until spring. I'm looking here at a list from GoContinental.com, which claims to help you sell your rare and valuable vinyl. Looking at the top ten most collected and most valuable artists and records as of 2011. Number 10, no surprise, Elvis Presley. Number 9, Queen. Iron Maiden at number 8. Bob Dylan, number 7. Jimi Hendrix, number 6. David Bowie is the fifth most collected artist. The Sex Pistols are the fourth most. Number 3, Led Zeppelin. Number 2, Rolling Stones. And number 1 with a bullet, The Beatles. Yeah, I'm not surprised about The Beatles. Uh, I read Record Collector magazine, and they always have a column that basically is devoted to who paid what for what Beatles single or album or whatever on on eBay. And they always sell for thousands and thousands of dollars. And there are a number of Holy Grail records that uh, are are Beatles records. Uh, One of them is an acetate of a quarryman that was recorded in somebody's um, living room back in the 1950s. That could be worth anywhere up to $500,000. And another big thing for the Beatles are White Albums. Now, when the White Album came out in 1968, every single one of them had a serial number on the front. And you can pay some very, very big dollars for a very low serial number. Now, the story was that when the White Album was released, the Beatles got numbers one, two, three, and four. A couple of those have come up for auction and have sold for huge amounts of money. I don't know too much about the Rolling Stones collectibles because uh, the Beatles are so far in front that uh, when I'm going through Record Collector and some of the other things I'm going through, um, I don't see a lot of Stone stuff. Zeppelin can be interesting because... um, 
they were known as the New Yardbirds for a while and recorded under that name. There were uh, some bootleg shows that were done in Scandinavia before they came back to England, became the uh, became Led Zeppelin. And then the Sex Pistols, of course. The, the big one for them is uh, God Save the Queen on A&M Records. Now, the story there is that uh, the Sex Pistols were signed to A&M for five days in 1978. And during those five days, EMI went ahead and pressed up a number of copies, probably about 25,000 copies, of God Save the Queen. But the other artists on the label kicked up such a fuss that the pistols were kicked off the label. And the moment they were kicked off and paid to go away, the, the word went out to the factory that, listen, all those Sex Pistols records that you pressed up, destroy them. But before they were destroyed, a number were spirited out of the building. And we don't know how many. I've heard as many as 300. I've heard as little as 25. But whatever the case is, uh, A&M Records' version of God Save the Queen, you can have the right serial number and all the rest of it, uh, that can be worth up to $25,000, although I've seen it for, for substantially less. But that would be my holy grail. I want one of those. Now, one of the advantages to being here at the big show is that we get in before everybody else gets in. We've got the lineup just uh, filing through here right now. But you've had a chance to go through some of these milk crates here, and you found some really interesting stuff. Yeah, the first thing I have is a, um, this is for 20 bucks. It is a Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, a Japanese pressing. It doesn't look terribly different from what we would get here in North America. Now, it's just uh, the pressing. It's not like the Fab Four were singing in Japanese. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a pressing. It says here, you know, manufactured in Japan. There's a little bit of Japanese writing on the, on the back. Um, and, but I, I look at the, uh, the, the vinyl inside. Now, Japanese pressings used to be uh, very, very coveted because the quality of the vinyl itself was better than what we got here in North America. And I, I'm just looking at this one, and I can tell you that it's, it's not as heavy as a 180-gram record or 220-gram record that we see these days, but it's certainly more than the 70 or 80-gram stuff that we used to get here in North America. So I'm for 20 bucks, I'll, I'll, I'll buy this. This isn't a problem. And the other thing that I have here is uh, an album called Nevermind the Cossacks by the Ukrainians. Uh, it's on yellow vinyl, and it is a track-by-track -track cover of the Sex Pistols' Nevermind the Bullocks album. I got this uh, sealed for five dollars so and you that, opened it well you have to see here's the thing about record stores stores uh record sales um you don't necessarily want a sealed version because if it's sealed you can't tell if what's inside is authentic ah. and the other thing too is that the shrink wrap if you leave it on too long can actually deform the record on the inside so um you want to take the shrink wrap off to make sure that a you're not getting ripped off and B, so you don't um, damage this valuable thing that you've got on the inside. Sh and shall we play a little bit of it here? Uh, if you want to, this is, uh, we can do that here. I think there's some turntables. Let's, uh, let's give this, here's, here's the Ukrainian version of, um, of, of the Sex Pistols. Anarchia.
Anarchy in the UK, as performed by the Ukrainians, a cover band of the Sex Pistols. Yes. On uh, yellow vinyl, too, yeah, which was fantastic. hypnotizing. I, I know. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm pleased with that one. I think I'm going to stop there because one of the things about record shows is if you don't come with a list of things that you're actually looking for, things that you actually need, you can quickly become overwhelmed because there are so many dealers with so many crates of so much stuff that if you don't know what you want, you will get lost and bored and discouraged easily. Now, I'm speaking for myself. So I always come with a list. If if none of the dealers have what I want, well, then I'll leave. If I find a couple of things that I think are kind of cool, like this Beatles uh, record or this this, uh, Cossacks record or this uh, Ukrainian record, I'll buy it. But beyond that, no. I'm... uh, I've, I've got about a 45-minute attention span before I just get completely overwhelmed. I found a vintage cover, to a degree, of the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Give It Away. Let me guess, you found it from Postmodern Jukebox. Postmodern Jukebox. Your blood is the loving of the riser. How come everybody want to keep it like the Kaiser? Give it away, give it away, give it away now. This is a, uh, a band that specializes. I mean, these are, you know, I, one of these YouTube stars, one of these YouTube performers. This is a band that specializes in doing covers of modern songs, really old school. I mean, they'll do it jazz style, they'll do it big band style, they'll do it, uh, you know, something completely out of the ordinary. And here's one doing, uh, what do we call this? Uh, I guess a girl group version of the Chili Peppers Give It yeah, Away? Yeah, it's, it's got a very uh, Austin Powers feel to it. Yeah. Very popular, though. 26 million views and 1.3 million subscribers. See, th- these YouTube performers really fascinate me because this is a world that I don't know much about because I still watch television. I still read books. I don't spend all my time trolling YouTube for whatever the kids are into these days. And, you know, something like this is... is you know, 26 million views, um, it's it's brand new to me. But I have seen other postmodern jukebox renditions, and these guys are, are very, very good. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if this one really does anything for me. You, you get the, the three women doing the little go-go dancing style routine in the video, but the actual track itself, it doesn't lend itself to this. Maybe that's why they thought it was that funny. That hit and miss. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Give them the props for trying, though. All right. We are live on location at the Toronto Downtown Record Show on Broadview Avenue. Uh, if you'd like to swing by, say hello. We're going to be here through the course of the day uh, checking out the stuff and maybe draining Alan's bank account in the process. I, my, li- my wife left me, uh, let me out of the house with a certain amount of money. You uh, have an allowance. I'm ha- I have an allowance. Uh, the nearest bank machine is, there's a, I think there's a convenience store a little bit, way, a little bit down the street, and then there's a CIBC on the corner. Um, You're in trouble, pal. I I promised I wouldn't. I'm here to buy a couple of things and maybe some Christmas presents. That's it. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You, too, can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today.
We are live on location at the Toronto Downtown Record Show. Geeks and Beats continues with a look at a new breakthrough in batteries for your electric car. Range anxiety, of course, is the huge issue. Now we know this is no longer going to be a problem in the future. Okay, I would consider a Tesla or something similar if I could get over this this range anxiety because I have a hard enough time with the display on my car that says X number of kilometers until you have to fill up. Yes. To have, and, and you know, I know that if my car does run out of gas, which it never has because I am paranoid, I could get a gas can, walk to the nearest gas station, put a little bit of gas in it, and that would get me to where I needed to go. You can't do that with an electric car. So this is my, this is my range anxiety. So what, this is... The lithium air batteries? Is that right? Which okay. is different from your lithium ion batteries. When you look at a standard lead acid battery, which is what you would get in a car, uh, which gets 0.18 kilowatt hours per kilogram, and by comparison, a car is 13, the lithium air batteries can store 12 kilowatt hours per kilogram in the same space that takes up a gasoline tank. Now, that's interesting because the battery packs, how many batteries are there in a Tesla? 6,600 or something? Something ridiculous. Something outrageous. And then you could only use those batteries for, I don't know, depends, seven, eight years, whatever the number of charge cycles you go through before you have to replace the whole thing. And that could be thousands of dollars. What's interesting to me about this is in addition to eliminating the range anxiety issue, because you're getting the same amount of power as you would with a standard gasoline tank, is that uh, we're using uh, graphene to produce highly porous electrodes. As we know, graphene is uh, that new super substance, and we're just sort of figuring out ways to take advantage of it. Yeah, we've been told that... uh Graphene is this new miracle substance, and and it's turning out to be that way, I guess, huh? It seems to be. seems to be. So at the end of the day, are you going to find yourself willing to get behind the wheel of an all-electric vehicle where you don't have that range anxiety? I, I, I might, and I'm speaking as a car guy. Now, the car that I'm looking at right now is a, oh, it's called the, it's a Porsche. And Porsche has got a concept car that they're taking around to various auto shows. And they say that with its charging system, they can go from empty to full in 15 minutes because they use this 800-volt charger. And they promise 500 kilometers on a charge. At that point, I'm starting to get interested. See, that's the really the Achilles heel for the electric car, isn't it? It's the charging time. If you have a, a car that doesn't require the same kind of charging frequency that we have now, because by and large it's the same as a gas tank, you would be more inclined to take it to the cottage. You'd be more inclined to go those extra distances. But once you run out of juice, you've, you're going to be sitting there twiddling your thumbs. So the ability to quick charge is one interesting idea. I'm amazed the industry didn't just basically go with the swappable battery idea. Remember the olden days where you'd pull up to the gas station and six guys would come running out? One would <laughs> you know, wash the windshield. The other would top up the fluids. One would make sure that the tire pressure was okay while another actually pump the damn gas why not have a similar thing where you pull up and maybe it's automagic where the underside of the car which holds the batteries disengages and they swap out the entire battery deck and you just get with a, a new one yeah i mean that's like my old motorola flip phone 
You know, I would what? just, yeah, I, way back in the day, I, I just slip out the, the old battery and put a new one in when I needed a, an extra charge. Can't do uh, that with an iPhone or, or most phones these days. You mentioned you've got a Porsche. I do. How do you feel about sullying the earth with your noxious emissions, mm, Mr. My, Volkswagen mm, owner? Uh, no, 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 no. Ah, okay, okay, okay. No, no, no. no, no, no. I I'm have, screwing with you. I know it's the other way around. It's the other Porsche way around. I'm, I'm, I know that there were some Porsches and some Audis that have been uh, implicated in the whole uh, Volkswagen um, emissions cheating scam, but uh, not my particular not my particular model. Can we go not back to the... I, th I thought you had the Cayenne or the Cayenne. No, no, no. I the, have a Cayman. 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 Oh, like the dragon. Like the, like the, the alligator, but spelled wrong. <laughs> or the crocodile, or whatever it is. Can we talk I, about I, the uh, go back to the electric car for just a second? Uh, sure. One of the things that really, uh, what really intrigues me about it, is when you have an electric motor, you don't need gears because you have this variable. Uh, it, it the you just you hit the the go fast pedal, and you it just unwinds. There's no the accel matrix. Yeah, there is no need for gearing, and the Tesla. Their Model S P85D has something called ludicrous mode. I swear to God, this is what it's called. They had an I insane know. mode, but now they've got the ludicrous mode. And because electromotors generate so much torque and so much acceleration, you can take this four-door sedan that you can buy for about $100,000. It will go from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Now, to get that kind of acceleration out of an internal combustion car, you would need a uh, Porsche uh, 918, you would need a Bugatti Veyron, you would need some kind of really exotic Ferrari, all cars that cost well over half a million dollars. So to be able to, in a four-door family car, go from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds, I'm there. Yeah, where's the fire, Charlie? <laughs> Doesn't matter. You, you're not a car guy, you wouldn't understand. I would not. The Tokyo Motor Show has uh, a neat concept car, though, from the company that I bought a car from. I bought a Nissan Murano. Nissan's got the IDS concept car. Are you looking at this? The steering wheel, when it switches to autonomous mode, basically recoils back into the dashboard, and all you have is basically a bar. Yeah, and, uh, and an iPad display, right? How would you feel about doing a 120 kilometers an hour without access to a steering wheel? No, no, I, I, I could not do this at all. This looks like something out of, you know, Star Trek or something. I, to be in a moving vehicle without any visible or accessible means of steering or control frightens me. I think this is just a proof of concept thing. At this point, they're calling it a piloted drive to manual drive, and it transforms the interior with the seats rotating forward, and an emoji smiling iPad unit tucks away when you actually do have to do the driving. I, uh, again, I'm watching the GIF go over and over and over, and it's, uh, no. I like driving too much to give it all up to some autonomous AI. <laughs> You kids get off my lawn. Exactly. I, give me my stick shift and my internal combustion engine and my steering wheel. This is Geeks and Beats live on location at the Toronto Downtown Record Show. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. You're so right, you can't be wrong. Rockin' and rollin' all week long. Did you ever watch Happy Days? 
I did. I watched it up until Fonzie uh, did the water ski jump over the sharks, which yes. is when the show actually literally jumped the shark, which is where we actually get the phrase from. Now, I was never much of a Happy Days viewer. Did you find that the show had already run its course, which has become the colloquial definition of jumping the shark? Yeah, I, I think it had. There was a, I was in, I don't know, grade seven, grade eight. Uh, there was a girl that uh, I really wanted to impress. So I watched Happy Days because it was her favorite TV show. And that was the only reason I paid attention to it as long as I did. I didn't, I didn't like the show very much. I didn't mind it in the early days because it was a television spinoff of George Lucas's American Graffiti to a certain extent. But uh, after a while, I was just like, yeah, no. And I never believed Fonzie because how could this... Uh, leather jacketed ne'er do well. Uh, Who was clearly a, in his 30s when he okay, shot the show. Exactly. Like, haven't you done anything with your life yet, Fonzie? Oh, you <laughs> haven't. Mm. Okay. Well, we're talking about it because Al Molinero, who played the chef, Big Al Del Vecchio, uh, the owner of Arnold's Drive-In, died this past week at the age of 96. And it got yeah. me looking into the show itself, not just Happy Days and the spin-off Joni Loves Chachi, but this man actually had quite a career long before... Happy Days came along. Yeah, wasn't he in The Odd Couple? He was in The Odd Couple. He played Murray, the, the, the cop. The cop. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a matter of fact, he was in a class with Penny Marshall, and Penny Marshall said, I've got this cousin Gary Marshall who's looking to, to put people in a TV show. you got to talk to him. And sure enough, that's how he ended up playing Big Al Del Vecchio. Mm. And wasn't he... Yes, he was. When Weezer came along with the Blue Album and did Buddy Holly... And did the Happy Days send up with the video? He was in the video, wasn't he? I have no idea. Was he? Let's have a look. Okay, you sure. So you look into look. it. But did you also know that they did a spin-off of Happy Days as a musical? Did they? When? Gar Gary Marshall, back in uh, the early 2000s, I think it was. Happy Days musical. Let's look it up on the internet, because if it's on the internet, it must be true. Uh, yeah, um, the set, the story is set approximately during season four of the original sitcom, and the premise behind the production, which uh, launched at Goodspeed Opera House in 2007, played the first national U.S. tour in 2009, was uh, the kids' plan to save Arnold from demolition by hosting a dance concert contest and a wrestling match. Oh, doesn't that sound like something that would do well on Broadway? Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, now, it was I, 1951 just, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am looking at the Wikipedia page for the Buddy Holly, uh, Buddy Holly video directed by Spike Jones. It was filmed at Charlie Chaplin Studios in Hollywood one day with a shooting. The video portrayed Weezer performing the, at the original Arnold's Drive-In Diner from the popular 70s television show Happy Days. And Happy Days cast member Al Molinero makes a cameo appearance. He plugs his hometown of Kenosha, Wisconsin in the introduction. And that's pretty much it. There you go. So, yes, he was in the video. The musical numbers in Act 1 and Act 2, I'm looking through them right now. I don't recognize any of them as being original stuff that people would recognize. It's, it's all the Malachi brothers, Fonzie, Chachi, Howard, and the Calendar Girls. Mm. And when did you say this was uh, on Broadway? Uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, and right through to 2010. Oh, okay. So it came after We Will Rock You and Mamma Mia and all those other ones. It was uh, written by Paul Williams, the American Oh, my, my friend Paul. You know Paul? I do know Paul. Um, I, you were, he wrote the lyrics week. to The Love Boat. 
uh, and he wrote Rainbow Connection, and he wrote a whole bunch of uh, songs for the Carpenters and Barbara Streisand. He's also the current head of ASCAP, the big performing rights association in the United States. Oh, I thought um, you said something I had to bleep. No, 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 no. Um, and Paul, um, I mentioned this last week, uh, I went to Winnipeg over the weekend, and I went to something called Phantom Palooza, which is Winnipeg's annual celebration of the movie Phantom of the Paradise, a Brian De Palma film from 1974 that sank out of sight everywhere in the world except in Winnipeg. And it stars Paul Williams, and he wrote all the music for it. Huh. And uh, I, I. It had a I very Warren Zevon feel to it when I listened to it. Uh, it had a. Well, if you listen to it, I, I, I saw the movie again on Friday. If, if you listen to it, you can hear the same sort of flourishes that you would hear in Carpenter songs and one or two Barbra Streisand songs. Broadcast radio is alive and well and living in Canada, you write. Yes, uh, this is part of a survey that was done of 1,500 people here in Canada, and it's leading up to um, an Ontario Association of Broadcasters convention that's happening uh, next Tuesday, and I'm, I'm actually leading a panel there. And uh, so we did this we did this uh, survey uh, ahead of the panel so it gave us something to talk about. So basically, you know, where is AM and FM going in the near and long term? Uh, here's what we found out from this survey. Uh, six in ten people in Canada listen to AM or FM or both radio daily. So that's, you know, that's still a heavy-duty penetration. Uh, one in ten Canadians listen to a streaming music service daily, which I find a little odd. It's a bit low. Mm-hmm. But I think we can blame the telcos on that. Oh, because I don't want to rack up my data charges? For the first time ever, I got a message from Rogers saying I have blown through my six gigabyte data cap. I blew through my six gigabyte data cap, but not because I was listening to streaming music. I made the foolish mistake of downloading the 9gag app, and it's all the streaming GIFs. Oh, see, now what I did was I accidentally downloaded the update of iMovie. <laughs> Over cellular? Uh, yeah, it did it automatically, which was the problem. And that there was, I think, 617 megabytes. All right, so at the Ontario Association of Broadcasters Convention, if you're talking about the future of radio, give us a hint. Is there a future for radio? Oh, I think there is. The trick is, you know, radio is still alive and well. It's very profitable, very popular. But if we're going to stay profitable and popular, we're going to have to change with the times. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about. What do we need to do so that in five years from now, radio is still popular and profitable? You it's, get three Canadians in a room, two of them alone a smartphone. Uh, that's right. So we're now up to 65%-ish smartphone penetration. That's only going to accelerate. Um, oh, and here's another interesting thing from the survey. We, we went into streaming music services, and this goes back to my complaint about uh, data caps. Spotify was the most cited streaming music service. 29% of the people in our survey listened at least once a week. Songs was second. Songs has always had a pretty good penetration rate into Canada. Uh, they had 17%. And uh, Apple Music was third at 11%. Now, considering that Apple Music didn't exist until June, that's actually pretty good. 
Geeks and Beats writer Amber Healy has written an article that's just blowing up on the website right now, which surprises me considering the really dry title, Data Pays Off for Music for musicians and fans, and that data should not be a four-letter word. She's talking about Next Big Sound, an analytics platform that collects and analyzes not just sales info, but social media hits, uh, a concert attendance, a data from streaming platforms, and it puts it all into one easy-to-use screen. This is a really big deal. Uh, last weekend, I was in Vancouver doing some interviews for uh, the debut of a, a TV channel that's coming to Canada called Vintage TV. And one of the people I was talking to is Terry McBride, co-founder of Network Records. And this guy is all about data. And he loves the information he's getting back from streaming music services because it tells him exactly where his artists are popular and where these artists should tour and where these artists should market, put their marketing and... Um, promotional dollars. It's very, very efficient. You go and fish where the fish are, and the data tells you where they are. On this uh, service, they tracked more than one trillion record spins in the first six months of 2015, compared to 2012, when they did their first industry report, uh, where they tracked 100 billion plays, and at the time, they figured that was a ridiculous amount as well. Well, yeah. Uh, but I mean, the more data, you, the more raw data you have, the, the greater, the more accurate conclusions you can tell, um, you can you can draw. This, uh, Spotify has a division called the Echo Nest, mm -hmm. and the Echo Nest does exactly the same sort of thing. And every once in a while, they put out a report that tells you something about music consumption, and you look at it and you go, "Wow, really? That's cool. Never knew that." You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. You're listening to Geeks and Beats live on location at the Toronto Downtown Record Show. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GB News Update. We have a winner. Oh, this is for our headphones. This is the Zik 2.0 headphones from Parrots. And a very popular contest we have been running. The way you support the big show is by becoming a member of the world's worst intern program or uh, by supporting the show by becoming a co-producer. And every time you donate a dollar to the show per episode, we throw in a raffle ticket, a virtual raffle ticket in your name. And that's what we've been doing over the course of the last four weeks. And we want to say congratulations to Mike Frizzell for being the big shot winner this time around. How many tickets did Mike buy? 25 tickets. See, this is no different than buying extra bingo cards. There you go. You're just increasing your chances. And not only that, but um, he's been the co-producer for the past two weeks, which makes him uh, eligible in addition to winning the, the, the thing. We'll send him off the album art for that week's episode uh, with his uh, name on it. And this week we have a new co-producer, Paul Luxton. Yay, Paul. Who, Thank you very much, Paul, for joining us as well. A whole raft of new interns as well as we are giving away these $400 pair of cans. Kevin Ryan, Claude Caron returned with a $5 per episode donation. Crystal Brown, Trish Castling, thank you very much for opening your wallet and helping the big show. If you would like, we're going to be giving away some new stuff for next week do you, as well. Can we 
talk about it? Or Well, a gadget uh, ninja, Aaron Lawrence, is going to scale down the side of GMP headquarters uh, to bring us, for the month of November, laser-guided shavers. Ooh. Really? <laughs> yes. So if you want to get in on that and the prospect of uh, winning a laser-guided shaver, even if you don't have a frickin' shark, you're going to want a laser-guided uh, shaver. Maybe the ladies do, too. Maybe it's a Christmas gift. Uh, go to geeksandbeats.com, click the support the show link, uh, and then sign up via Patreon. Or if you're not uh, hooked on that, PayPal is an alternative way you can go if you'd like to do that. Now, we should point out that even though you may hear this on the radio with commercials around it, we... We derive absolutely no income from those commercials. So None. The, so the only way that uh, we can afford to to keep doing this, and the only way that we can afford to uh, you know pay off some of our our you know our hosting costs and all the other things that we have to pay for, uh, is through your kind donation. So if you think we're worth it, please drop a few dollars in the tip jar. Meantime, if you go to uh, Twitter and type in the hashtag GN as in Norman B. Mug Tour 2015, you will see that we have had a whole bunch of uh, photos from all around the world of people with their miracle travel mugs of traveling. I am still using my original miracle travel mug of traveling. It is the best, and I'm not saying this because I'm shilling for the company store, it is the best travel mug I have ever used, and I've used dozens. Uh, GMB listener Andrew Stokely has the original one as well, which they uh, discontinued shortly after we launched them. Victor Biggio is uh, tweeting from Palm Springs, California with his GNB mug. And uh, Stokely himself is in Truro, uh, is that uh, Nova Scotia? Yes. Uh, for, uh, I guess, curling of some sort. Yeah, he works uh, for the CBC and some other people in doing sound. So mm -hmm. he's, uh, he's always crisscrossing the country, which explains why he's taking his mug with him so many different places. Uh, GMB listener Scott Coates as well, enjoying a JD and Ginger along Bangkok's canals with his Geeks and Beats you know, Miracle I, I Travel may, Mug Traveling. I may have to get another one just for cold beverages because um, although I have, <laughs> I mean, I really CLR'd mine, but I like my coffee so strong that the interior of my, my mug is, is, is stained and I, and I don't want to put anything, you know, fine alcohol in it. You like your coffee like you like your women. Very, very strong and uh, occasionally bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Calling all music technology enthusiasts. Yeah, we you started a meetup group. What the heck is that? Well, there are some people that help me with my website. Uh, my website is a journal of musical things.com. Uh, and I've got a couple of people who are helping me with it. And they decided that it was time for us to do a, uh, a music versus technology meetup. So we're versus gonna, technology. Well, music and technology. And we, you oh, know, so it's not like the Jets. No, 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 no. So we're going to do this. Uh, first one is going to be on November the 12th in downtown Toronto. If you want to join us, man, we've got over, well over 100 uh, RSVPs, and there will be complimentary food and drinks. Uh, it's 100% free. Uh, go to a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's uh, stuck right to the top of the, uh, of the post. You can you read, all, read all about it there. Uh, even though we haven't done our first one yet, we're getting inquiries from as far away as London, England to do something like this. Oh, really? Yeah, you can come to that one. I'll get you. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Oh. It's at Lighthouse Labs, the Highline office at 639 Queen Street West in downtown Toronto. So if uh, you'd like to join Alan Cross and Hopnop, uh, be sure to do that. It, this is just basically people getting together and talking about music and technology. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's like a, a, a podcast, but in real life. Kind of, and I have nothing to do with it other than I'm showing up. It's the people who are running my website that... Uh 
conceived of the idea and have shamed me into going, so uh, I will. <laughs> ScreenCrush.com is reporting that HBO's uh, finally working on a Deadwood movie. I loved Deadwood. Did you watch it? Okay, here's my problem with the Deadwood. What? I never saw the very last oh, episode. Oh, you didn't. Well, it, 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 it was a case of I didn't want it to ever end. It was, uh, from what I remember, the last episode was a little rushed in that they had to tie up a bunch of loose ends. So it was, I recall it being a little bit disappointing, but I was already disappointed because the series was ending and I loved it. It was the most foul uh, in terms of dialogue. I mean, the main, one of the main characters, his name is Swearingen, and believe me, he was. Yes. But it was, it was fantastically foul. But, but each of the, the characters spoke foully in almost Shakespearean ways. And if you saw the show, you know what I'm talking about. It, uh, and I'm, uh, so they're, they're going to do a good Deadwood movie? Uh, according to Garrett Dillahunt, uh, he uh, tweeted uh, as one of the stars of Deadwood that he has heard legitimate rumblings of a movie revival. And this would be almost a decade after they canceled it midway through the third season. Uh, over at uh, Screen Crush, Kevin Fitzpatrick's got a great line. He says, um, HBO Deadwood ranks up among Firefly as a fabled reunion we'd come to relinquish hope for. Yeah, that would be... That would be accurate, as long as we can get the original characters all back together and uh, have the same level of writing and swearing. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's not worth it. HBO has apparently entered into negotiations with the creator David Milch and that any revival would likely take the form of a movie as opposed to bringing it back as a television show itself. Yeah, it was an expensive show to shoot because there was a lot, you know, the on-location shooting was, was hideously expensive. Oh, I can imagine, I can imagine. In a related note, you know, they're bringing back the, the Star Trek. Um, you know about that. So I've heard in, in 2017, they're not talking about any storylines, they're not talking about what era... What I have heard, and you're going to be upset about this, is it's, as they say, they're bringing it back to television. It's not television they're bringing it back to. They're bringing it back to the CBS app on your Apple TV and your streaming tablet where you would pay 10 bucks a month for the privilege of watching Star Trek. I know. This really bugs me. And what are the chances of this app being available in Canada right from the get-go? Pretty much zero. Exactly. So Geeks and Beats is... Live on location at the Toronto Downtown Record Show. And uh, as we wrap up the big show down here, we wrap it up with a very, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about even talking about this because you're suggesting there's a connection between music and your weight. I have been studying this for a while. I'm interested in the connection between behavior and music. And... A number of studies have come out saying that uh, there is a real relationship between the type of music you listen to and the speed and amount that you eat. Now, See, that would make sense to me because I could imagine that if the music is slow-tempoed, you'd be more inclined to just sit back and relax, and that's not, I can imagine, what a restaurateur wants. No, especially at lunchtime. Restaurants will play loud, up-tempo music to turn over customers to get them eating and out so they can uh, you know rack up the uh, rack up the uh, uh, the revenue mm -hmm. it also works for drinks uh, the if you know you go into a bar and there's loud fast music you tend to drink more which is good for the bar tab 
but you're reporting on a recent study that suggests that women who eat breakfast cereal while sitting on the kitchen counter weigh as much as nine kilograms more than those who didn't. I'm just reporting on the study. And <laughs> okay. listening to music, listening to fast, up-tempo music while eating that cereal while sitting on the counter made it even worse. I'm, I'm looking at, oh, yeah, this is out of the Daily Fail. Yes, I know. It's another DailyMail.com thing. I know, so? I don't even know if I can trust this well, then. Listen, I'm just propagating what's on the internet. How can that Professor be a bad thing? Professor Brian Wansink is an expert on how design affects our eating and says healthy eating tips don't work and people should tweak their homes. Well, there's this whole idea behind white plates. There is a psychological need that most people have to clean your plate if the plate is white. We want to Oh, I get that. Yeah. And uh, I guess the idea is is that you want to clean something that's dirty. That's right. It's a psychological thing. We do it without even thinking about it. And if you were to eat food off a white plate while listening to fast up-tempo music, uh, you can see the problem. I don't think they teach these things at Weight Watchers. Wait a minute. I, I, I think I misunderstood this. He's talking about what you put on your kitchen counter, not sitting on your kitchen counter. If you've got food easily accessible, you are more inclined to eat it, which means you're more inclined to gain weight. And if music's playing, you're out of luck. So I'm not big boned. I just listen to thrash metal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.